I'm Jordan Gonsalves, and I'm a journalist. Join me on my new podcast, But We Loved, where queer elders recount the amazing history they've lived through. In the middle of Wall Street, they stopped traffic. They were doing a die-in. And in the process, share little gems of wisdom for the next generation. The key is to understanding yourself, learning to love and embrace yourself. You can listen to But We Loved on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Boom, have no fear, the I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast is here. Boom, have no fear, the I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast is here. On today's brand new banging I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast guest, my guest is Matan Peretz. Matan Peretz has been one of the most outspoken, vocal, passionate, hilarious voices since October 7th. He is born and raised in the quote-unquote occupied West Bank. He's a stand-up comedian, and he serves in the IDF. He's got a lot to say about a lot of things. He's really smart, really funny, and he's a great, great guest. This is a great episode with my guest, Matan Peretz. Miles Jordan, a.k.a. the Bleach Brothers, a.k.a. the Dust Brothers. Start this puppy off with something real nice. Start this puppy off with something real loud. But most importantly, start this puppy off with something real funky. This is the I Am Rappaport Stereo Pocket. Let's fucking go. All right. Boom. I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast is here. Have no fear. I'm excited about this podcast. I wish we had done it in person uh, when I was in Israel. Uh, because I feel like um, I knew this guy before I met him, and I got to meet our guest on today's podcast, Matan Peretz, who is live from the West Bank, uh, who I got to meet in Israel, who I found out about on social media, just like, it's almost like a dating app. We find so many people that we, you know, you become friends with in this day and age, and I found uh, Matan uh innocently since October 7th with his posts. And then I realized from following more that he's a comedian who was also serving in the IDF, which to me is so, it's such a, a dichotomy of things, but it's such a sort of Israeli sort of thing. So I welcome Matan to the I Am Rap Stereo podcast. I appreciate you coming. 
Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. I appreciate you taking the time. How are you? How is everything? How, how is everything today in your world, uh, everything you've been going through, uh, uh, everything that your family's been going through? Uh, how is everything? Um, we're good. Uh, we're trying to, you know, it's been weird to try to adjust back to life at home because I was, uh, I was in uh, Judea and Samaria for almost 70 days. Um, I came straight from Mexico to uh, the reserve service. So I didn't really have the time to adjust from my uh, vacation. So I'm doing it right now. And it's, it's, it's been weird. It's, uh, I'm waking up in the middle of the night thinking like I have somewhere to go. Like, so I'm still trying to, you know, dial it down. I'm every once in a while, I'm looking for my weapon. Um, but uh, so I'm trying to like, uh, you know, try to get back to my old life. It's not easy, but it's something I have to go through. What, so where were you on October 7th? In Mexico, Cancun. On vacation? On vacation, yeah. We, uh, me and um, uh, three more uh, friends of mine, which also are stand-up comedians, we decided that we're going to use the time uh, between the end of the summer and the beginning of the, the winter tours uh, to go for three weeks uh, to Mexico. So, you know, clean our heads before the, the busy, busy winter, usually. And it caught us by surprise. My flight back was scheduled to October 7th. And, um, you know, it's just, uh, it's, it's been so crazy ever since. Like, it feels like a different life, like a, a lifetime ago. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that's how uh, it, it's felt for you and for everybody. So first, as a stand-up comedian, uh, I think it's such a bugged out duality, dichotomy, to be a stand-up comic, because I understand the mentality of an artist. I understand the mentality of a comic. And uh, how long have you been doing stand-up? And what has your sort of career been like? Uh, what is the stand-up comedy community in Israel, uh, in Tel Aviv, in the West Bank? Is there a comedy club in the West Bank? Uh, tell us what it's like to be a comedian in Israel and from Israel and from the West Bank. Okay, so... Um... There's no stand-up comedy in the West Bank. I think uh, I asked um, an Arab comedian, uh, a friend of mine, Muhammad. I asked him about like, you're a stand-up comedian and you're you're a good one. You're one of you're you're one of the good one. I'm really talented. I was like, so why are you doing all your stand-up in Hebrew? Like, you're the only Arab stand-up comedian that I know. I bet you get like, you know. All the crowd, all the Arab crowd is yours. Nobody here knows how to speak Arabic, like none of the comedians at least. And he was like, no, we don't stand up comedy in like the, in the West Bank and all those problematic areas. It's not really, it's, he told me, he told me like, you can, you can get in trouble if you making fun of the wrong person, if you making the wrong joke, like they won't get it. It's not like it's not safe to do stand-up comedy in front of like Palestinian crowd, and it's unfortunate because I was like, dude, you can be their Dave Chappelle, right? Like you're the only one, and he's like, now like uh, Israelis are more like, inclined to like comedy and and you know dark jokes, and he's going he's going on stage with like a with like a backpack, and he's like, don't worry, I'm not gonna explode, you know all this shit. Like Israelis love that, you know what I mean? But Arabs not so much so it's weird um 
and I got a lot of uh, comments online. It's like, he's not even a soldier. He's a stand-up comedian. That's how people, like, that's how little people understand about what's going on in Israel. Like, you can have a career. You can do what you do. The moment they call you, you're coming. It doesn't matter what you do in your personal life. You can be a comedian. You can be a whatever electrician. You can do whatever you are in your private life. But the moment they call you, you come. So all those people try to, like, belittle what I do like oh he's not an actual soldier because he's a comedian I was like don't get upset with me because I have a career it's not like in Israel everyone's a soldier like you don't really those kind of comments just really express to me how little people know about Israel and Israelis so yeah that that to me is that's what I'm saying like you know as far as being a comic being a tech person a doctor uh, being a dentist, it, it doesn't matter. You know, what, what I've learned in my trip and talking to people, one of the images that was such a trip to me and my wife, we were at a cafe in Tel Aviv. There was a girl and we were like, we were making note of her. She must've been five foot two, five foot two, the middle of the day, she's walking her little dog and she had her weapon on her and the weapon, you know, seemed like it was as tall as her. And, <laughs> you know, when I was in Jerusalem, uh, you know, walking around, I remember seeing, uh, you know, and this is common for people of Israel, but, you know, for Americans that have never been to Israel, like I had, I hadn't been, I saw this guy probably 25, 26 with his, uh, probably one year old, two year old. He looked like he just came from the gym. Obviously he didn't, but he was in sweatpants and a sweatshirt, you know, pushing his baby in the baby carriage with his weapon in, especially now that's more common or is that always the way it is? I, uh, it's not really that common, but during war times or operations or stuff like that, yeah, people get enlisted and then they go back home for like 24 hours, 48 hours. They go with their personal weapon and they feel safer in those very tense times to walk around with the weapon. And it's actually like for the other people on the street to see someone walk around with a weapon gives you a little sense of security uh, because you can never know. People don't understand. People think like this is a war and... Uh, we, it's us and the other side. No, there's no other side. They're walking among us. Like there's nothing, you know, keeping them from walking around Tel Aviv. So that's the thing. Yeah, people really like really on edge. And, and it's very important to preserve that sense of security in your own country. So yeah, that's what happens here. That's, that's how things always were. So as far as stand-up comedy in Tel Aviv, like where's the hot spots in Israel? Is it Tel Aviv? You said there is no, there is, is there no stand-up comedy club in the West Bank? <laughs> no, not at all. There's three comedy clubs in Israel. Three of them are in Tel Aviv. Would you be able to open a comedy club in the West Bank? No, I don't think so. Why I think not? It's gonna, because the people that live in Judea and Samaria usually are very religious, usually are uh, what they call settlers. They're very religious. They're over there. It's dangerous, but they're over there from a very profound sense of, you know, Zionism and nationalism. And, and I know because I grew up there. The reason we were there is because this very, like, connection to, to the land. And it doesn't matter, like, where you are, if it's dangerous or not. It's our land, so we're going to stay there. So I don't think really... It's a place for like to build up a stand-up comedy club. It's it's not going to work, like because you have to be a very specific kind of comedian to attract 
people through your shows. There's no profanities. There's no, you know what I mean? Drugs or whatever. Everything is very religious. Uh, so Tel Aviv, it's like the hub of that. So everybody goes to Tel Aviv, but there's, there's some other places in Israel that we can do like stand up nights every once in a while, obviously Be'er Sheva, Yerushalayim, all those places, but the comedy clubs are in Tel Aviv. And, um, you recently put out a, you put out a special right before, when did yeah. you put out your comedy special? The special was two-parter, and the first part came out uh, four months ago, and the second one was three months ago. It was like two-parter. Like, uh, the first one was 48 minutes. The second one was 40 minutes. It's from the same show, but I divided in two, so it won't be like an hour and a half. And yeah, it was around September, August, September, and it was in preparation, obviously, for this winter tour that I had planned. And... Yeah, so I, me and my friend uh, Asaf, also a stand-up uh, Israeli stand-up comedian, we were ready. We were like, we're gonna release those specials. We're gonna go crazy this winter, and then we're gonna take another vacation around like April or whatever. But uh, yeah, it's I'm I'm counting my blessings that all like everything I lost is in terms of money and not like you know what I mean. People lost a lot more, so I'm I'm not gonna complain about that. It's it, it's gonna take a lot of work to like. To try to make it go again but thankfully that was the only loss we experienced in financial loss which is it's big but it's you know i'm not the one to complain about that and if people want to watch your special where can we watch your special it's on youtube yeah matan peret stand up i have uh, one bit in english uh from the broadway comedy club in new york the rest of them are in hebrew i'm very proud of them uh, I worked a lot and, you know, I, I did a lot for this YouTube channel to grow and to, to work so people will have a sense of what my comedy looks like before they come to my shows. So, yeah, I'm really proud about that. So when you perform, you're comfortable doing stand up in English and Hebrew? Yeah. So tell me what crowds are like in Tel Aviv. I, I have never been to a show in Tel Aviv. I didn't get to go to see your show in Tel Aviv. Tell me the difference between an American crowd or a, a Hebrew uh, crowd in, in Tel Aviv, or even, you know, when you performed in America. Is there a difference? There is a difference there, actually. Um, Israeli crowd are very anxious. They don't take any bullshit. If you're not funny in the first 20 seconds you're on stage, people are going to boo you, like, really. Like, they're trying to be polite, they're trying to be respectful, they will give you a chance, but, like, if you're not, if you're not pounding them in the first two minutes on stage, they will lose interest. Like, best case scenario for you is that will people, like, stop listening. That's the best case scenario for you. Worst case, they're going to boo you off stage, they're going to stand up, they're going to leave, they're going to announce themselves leaving your show. They will not just go away, they will stand up and be like, this guy is fucking bullshit. I'm leaving. You know what I mean? Like, it's, they're going to be, it's going to be very hard. It happens. Happens to me a lot of times when I started. I won't wish it were my worst enemies. American crowd, for that matter, when I performed in the Broadway Comedy Club, is very polite. They're, they have more, like, patience to see where are you going with this. You know what I mean? You're starting something. They have the patience and the courtesy to be like, Okay, I, I may not like you, but let me see where you're going with this. And that's very nice. That's awesome. Like, I like that. That's, that's how stand-up crowd should be. Give me the courtesy to, like, 
see where I'm going. Like, let you see what I'm where I'm going with this. Israelis have no patience. And when you perform mainly to Israelis, when you get to perform to Americans, you're like, oh my God, this is <laughs> this is easy. Like, wow, they're just like they want to hear what I have to say. You know what I mean? That's awesome. So yeah, that's the huge, huge difference. And and in the and the English nights that I'm doing in the stand-up factory. Uh, once every three weeks, I'm doing this uh, for people that made Aliyah, people that came from Canada, United States, North Africa, uh, all those places. And you see, they're like, they're right in the middle between American crowd and like full on Israeli crowd because they've been living in Israel for a while. <laughs> they get anxious, but they'll give you the courtesy of like, okay, let's see what you're doing. But if you're not going to make us laugh, we're going to, we're going to talk to someone about it. You know what I mean? You're gonna, we're going to go to the organizer and be like, that guy wasn't funny. So heckling and sort of uh, frustrated crowds, it's a common thing in the comedy scene in Israel? Yeah, absolutely. Like when I've seen, uh, we talked about this, when when I've seen the the hecklers video on TikTok and Instagram, like all these comedians from the US, like talking to hecklers and like, he says something, the comedian says something and whatever. And then like after two seconds, if it's really crazy, after two seconds, somebody come and escort them out, right? That's it. if it's going really insane. In Israel, the hecklers are not, I don't even think you can call them hecklers. They're like, <laughs> you don't want to mess with them. Like you really don't. Like if they don't like you, that shit's gonna go down like it's it's insane you try to be very respectful it's a landmine like when you talk like you can talk to the wrong person and people are gonna wait for you outside like it's you know what i mean so most of the shows 90 percent of the shows people are very respectful you're gonna make them laugh if they know who you are it's gonna be easier because israelis want to know who you are they're like uh who's this guy like i don't know him but if they know you they're like okay let, let him talk so most of the shows are good. 90% of the shows are good. But the stories that I heard and the stories that happened to me are insane. Like for other comedians, it's like, no, this stuff can never happen. But it does. What's the worst one or the best, best heckler or crowd <laughs> story that you've seen or that you've or that you've dealt with in a Tel Aviv or an Israeli club? So there's there's two of them. One of them uh, was a girl that sat on front row. Uh, she was on her phone watch like a video or something and i was like listen like if you don't want to watch me it's fine you can put on headphones or or just go outside and she straight up looked at me and said shut up <laughs> and i was like listen like i'm a stand-up comedian i know i have only like seven minutes to do my bit please be respectful i'll have to ask you to go outside and she's like don't talk to me again and i was like i'm listen like it's not even it's not even like a funny heckling, you know what I mean? It's not like back and forth, like the crowd laughs. No, you were disturbing her from watching her video. Yeah, you and I was like, yeah, you can you can go outside. Like, please, you're like I can hear the sound of your video and it's making me crazy. And she just took like, sunglasses and just threw them into my face in the middle of the show. <laughs> and I was like, what, what? And then she got up and walked because nobody escorted her out. She was like, she just threw the sunglasses on my face. It wasn't even hers. Like somebody else from the crowd yelled, that's my sunglasses. It was weird. And that, so that's one. And the other one was I, I made a Holocaust joke because I love dark humor, whatever. It's like a tiny, tiny joke about like the Eurovision that Germany gave us one point And I was like, they owe us at least six. You know what I mean? Those kind of stuff. And a guy waited for me outside 
Like I, I went off stage. One of the comedians was like, don't go outside. I was like, why? I want to smoke a cigarette. He was like, no, somebody's waiting for you outside. I was like, like for what? He was like, no, he didn't like the Holocaust joke. And I was like, yeah, let's go talk to him. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not afraid. Like I grew up in Judean Samaria. No, no, nobody gonna, you know, scare me off. And I went out and he started like huffing and puffing. And I was like, look, dude, I'm a, I'm a comedian. Like really, you're gonna beat me up about like a joke. Didn't you have anything better to do with your life? And he's like, lucky for you, I'm with my girl here and I don't want her to see that I'm violent. And I was like, yeah, you can tell yourself whatever you want to tell yourself. But like, we were not even getting excited about that anymore. You know what I mean? We just, it's, it's a part of a back and forth. Like in, in Israel, when you're a stand-up comedian, you take in consideration there are some risks. There are some risks. So yeah, that's the part of the job. I am Rappaport Podcast. But We Loved is a podcast about queer history. I'm Jordan Gonsalves, your host. Growing up, I thought being gay was the worst thing I could ever be. The gay history I learned was tragic. Jerry had died of AIDS, and it's like, what is happening? It was survival. That's why it's called survival sex. But as I interviewed queer elders, I realized there was another history that I had never been taught, a history of courage and perseverance. I wanted to take control of my story and not be ashamed of it. And it was a history full of love. The joy we found in saying husband again and again and again was incredible. And while learning this new queer history from my elders, I realized they had so much wisdom to pass down. The key is to understanding yourself, learning to love and embrace yourself. For My Heart Podcasts, I'm Jordan Gonsalves, and this is But We Loved. Listen to But We Loved on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, Dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of... dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side.
correctness amongst Israeli culture, not even comedy, versus what you know about American political correctness, cancel culture. Can you break that down? Because that was one of the things that came up a lot. Like, it's not a thing there. Like, it, it, so it no. must not be a thing in comedy. Can you break that down just as a person who, obviously, you make jokes for a living, but just in terms of, like, you know, what it's like? Because so much of what's being discussed now and so much of what's being been discussed for the last few years in America is political correctness. So what is political correct culture like today in Israel? So I, I will say that the majority of people especially the stand-up crowd, don't give a shit about that. Like, as long as you don't talk about, like, the really, like, red lines of, like, you know, like, autism or, like, dirty, uh, like, Holocaust jokes or something, like, really out there, people won't care. Even if someone in the crowd was offended by the joke, it's gonna, they're not really gonna carry it on and write, like, a mean comment or try to shame you. No. 90% of the time. There are 10% of the times that sometimes you perform into, like I, I performed in front of a crowd in Tel Aviv, like the hipsters of Tel Aviv. They have their own comedy shows and whatever. And they invited me to perform there. And it's a different kind of crowd, you know, like people with purple hair. You know what I'm talking about. So it's a different kind of crowd. And I did some sketchy jokes over there. And people uh, after the show was like, listen, that wasn't cool, whatever. But that's the extent of it. You know what I mean? Like people are not trying to cancel you or destroy your career because you tell like a domestic violent joke. Nobody gives a shit. Like the lives here are so ridiculously hard. And you, you have every day is a new terrible surprise that you're not going to be offended by a comedian made a joke about dying or suicide or whatever or or calling someone in the wrong pronouns we don't have that here by the way we don't have pronouns here like you're a girl or you're a boy that's all we have like i haven't met anyone who's like call me they no one like i will respect that obviously like if you want to be called wherever you want to be i'll call you that but like it's not a thing in israel at all like it didn't didn't even come here like just a little bit even so so you can tell by that or you know, our um, woke culture, because we don't really like everybody here is either like Ethiopian, Moroccan, Ashkenazi. Like we don't everyone is half in this, half that. It's such a, you know, mixed culture that everyone is everyone. So we're all Jews. As long as we're all Jews and living in Israel, even not Jews, Israelis. There's no really point to like. We're not gonna. We're not gonna catch you by like, oh, you didn't call me the right pronouns. We don't give a shit about that. I love that. So, Israelis, Jews, Arabs, what is the biggest misconception, or what are some of the biggest misconceptions about the country, the state of Israel that you've noticed? I'm sure since you've gotten uh, more popularity on social media, you're seeing and hearing more things that are are. I know I'm seeing and hearing them. What are some of the, the biggest misconceptions that you're seeing online? Online doesn't mean reality, but it is yeah. it is your reality in terms of, you know, people commenting to you on social media. The craziest thing, the craziest, like by far the craziest thing is that Israelis are white and Gazans are brown. And that's why this war is going on. This is like for Israelis, 
most of us just started laughing. Like it was so absurd that people just think that this is a race war of some kind. Like it's insane to us. Like we're looking at this. I have the ability in the English to like try to, you know, explain it to the world. But even me explaining that it's not true is so ridiculous to me because I'm Moroccan. My dad is from Morocco. My dad is from Africa. He was born there, right? My mom, they're from a part of Turkey, whatever. They lived in Jerusalem for like eight generations. Like most of my friends are either Moroccan, Yemenite, Ethiopian, uh, I don't know, uh, Russian, Ukrainian. Like for us, it's like thinking like, and they say it so proudly. Like I've seen some TikTokers going like, yeah, Israelis are white colonizers. And I'm like, are you serious right now? Like, look at me. Like, is there anything white colonizing about this face? Like when I walked in New York, swear to God, when I walked in New York, I went to, through like uh, a Madison Square Garden. I can, around 50 people, I'm not even exaggerating, 50 people walked straight to my face and went, Salam Aleikum. And I was like, Aleikum Salam, because you know what I mean? Like they, they for straight up thought I was Muslim, like a like hundred percent. They didn't even ask, like, where are you from? They just go straight up to me and went, Salam Aleikum, brother. And I was like, Aleikum Salam, brother. You know what I mean? So you call me a white colonizer, like, what, what are you talking about? This is just insane. And, and I'm, I'm really like trying to explain to Israelis that this is what the world think of us. They're just like, well, there's no one to talk to. If that's what they think, I don't, like, I don't know. How can you deal with that? How do you have the energy or the patience to explain to people that Israelis are not white colonizers? It's, it's insane. That's the biggest one. The biggest one. And the second one is about like, gay rights and women rights. Expl is, explain the fucking reality. You grew up in the West Bank, the occupied West Bank. Explain the reality of women's rights, gay rights of people uh, in the West Bank. Okay, so to be brutally honest, there is none. No women rights, no gay rights. If you're just being suspected, not even caught in the act, suspected of having gay tendencies listen very carefully what i'm saying not like caught in the act with another dude in your bed i'm not talking about that i'm talking about suspected of having gay tendencies which means you're either a little bit feminine or you just i don't know metrosexual whatever you just take care of your face and your body too much and you're suspected they will throw you off a fucking building like for suspicion and your family, your family, brothers, sisters, dad, mom, they will be on their side, not on your side, because you're suspected of being gay. I'm not even talking like transsexual and this, like, I'm talking about gay tendencies. And women, right, I don't know if people know that because clearly they don't. As an IDF soldier, you're not allowed to talk to Arab women. Those are the army rules. You want to know why? Why? Because if you talk to an Arab woman and she talks back, her husband going to beat the shit out of her when she got home. So to prevent that, you're not allowed to even look at them. And people are talking about the Israeli army is raping and doing. We're not allowed to look at them. 
that's the only reason, one of the main reasons that we have female soldiers on the borders, female inspectors. Why? Because we are not talking, let alone touching Arab women. Not because we're violent and we, have, we need to have restrictions. No, because if we'll do so, she's going to have a lot of problems going back home to her husband. So that's why that happens. So when people talk about how IDF treat Arab women, they have no idea what they're talking about. And like those people who love to say, show me the video, show me a video of IDF soldier, a male IDF soldier dragging an Arab woman, show me that video. And if that guy is not in jail, I don't know, there is no chance that this shit happened. And they're asking like, why are you, why are you treating the Arab woman that way, why are you doing this? Why are you stopping them and you were holding them in the border? Because a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine, was uh, severely injured by an Arab woman coming to the stop, coming to the border, uh, posing as pregnant, and she blew up. Yes. So that's the reason why wow. we don't get close to them. We give the women soldiers, deal with them. That's why we strip down the people we, we think are suspicious because those things happen. And people think that we're doing this out of like to belittle the Palestinian army. No, not at all. The reason the wall exists, the reason those inspections exist, the reason the metal detectors exist is because every metal detector that is in Israel, somebody died there or severely injured because they wouldn't, they didn't expect people as well as they should. So that's what people don't understand. So as long as it's coming like women rights, gay rights, uh, uh, treatment, the IDF treating Arab women, people have no idea. And, and, and it's so easy to say, oh, you're lying. You're lying. Okay. You can argue with your lying. I'm telling you the, the army guidelines and restrictions. Like if your commander catches you talk to an Arab woman, you're in a lot of trouble. Talking, I'm not talking about touching, dragging, talking. So that's something I think nobody really knows in, outside of Israel. Wow, that's that's real shit. All right, the West Bank. You grew up in the West Bank. Your family is from the West Bank. What is it like in the West Bank? What What is real? What's not real? What is the day-to-day -day relation between... Jewish people, Palestinian people, Jewish people, Arabs, explain, you know, I know you can't do the whole thing in just a little podcast. We go on and on and on and on and on, but just give me the overview of what is it like? What is your experience like? What is day to day? What was it like before? What is it like going forward? Just break it down. So as someone who grew up in Judea and Samaria um, and did my mandatory service and then got back there with my reserve service. My family lives there. My whole mom's side of the family still lives in Hebron, Kiryat Arba, Karmetsur, all those uh, settlements in uh, Judea and Samaria. Let me tell you this. The problem, the main problem are not the Arabs, the Palestinians. It's their leadership and their education system. Because when you want your house to get built, Nine times out of ten, you're going to take Arab workers. They're going to do a great job. You're going to stay friends with them. 
They're going to come around, drink some black coffee with you. Everything's going to be awesome. The moment things heating up, you won't see them. You won't see them again and they won't come back or the whatever. The one of You can figure out from like, oh, the contractor, his son was a suicide bomber, like stuff like that. So the thing is, when I was in first grade, uh, they took us to a tour around Hevron, the Hevron Mountains, right? They took us to a tour at first grade, just like 15 minutes away from the school and coming back. And the moment we got outside of our settlement of Kiryat Arba, I think it was like maybe 10 or 5 or 10 Arab youth destroyed our bus with rocks like this big. Destroy the bus. And this is a bus of first graders, right? I'm six, seven years old. They destroyed our bus. They, uh, we called the army, we called it whatever. And my experience was if you went out of this gate, people are going to want to kill you for just being a Jew. You didn't do anything wrong, right? For just being a Jew, people are going to want to kill you. Now, it's very hard to shake that feeling that everyone's an enemy. It's very hard. It's not the truth. It's not true because not everyone is an enemy, but that's the sense you get when you grow up in those areas. And then when I, you know, I grew up, I, uh, we, we moved to center Israel pretty much. And it's really hard to shake that feeling that anything could happen at any time. So when I'm looking, when I got back there, when I felt that again, that if you drive in here and you see uh, green uh, uh, car plates, you know that those are not uh, Israeli civilians. You're you're on edge. You're you're very ready for stuff to happen, and I think that's not the Palestinians' fault. That's their leadership and their education. Because when I was six years old, seven years old, we let we lived under a constant threat, obviously, of you know. Uh, suicide bombers and terrorists, but still what we learned at school was a little bit about the Bible, a little bit about like uh, the Arabs and us are cousins because we both from Abraham and then like that's what we learned. That's what I grew up in Judea and Samaria, not in center of Israel. In Judea and Samaria, we studied that Arabs and Jews are from the same ancestor, right? And then when I was in the army, we went into a school uh, and we, we got some uh, pamphlets from the school and some like curriculums and videos, obviously. And you see six, seven years old kids uh, dressed as Hamas terrorists. Their final performance of uh, second or third grade, I think, was how to execute uh, Israeli soldiers. I'm talking about seven, eight year old kids right? and they're very proud of them. Like their parents are sitting in the crowd, filming, clapping their hands. So I think that's the main, main problem. Take away the government, take away the terrorist organizations. We work together. We can get along. Like really, we can, like we do. Uh, most of the houses built in Judea and Samaria was built by Arabs. Like Arab contractors, Arab workers, whatever. Like the fact that right now they're not allowing Palestinians to go inside the settlements to build houses are harming both Palestinians and the settlers. That's what people don't understand. So it's, for me, it's just, you need to find a solution that is from the ground up, just like they did in Turkey, uh, Al-Turk, when he just 
change the whole country uh, from being radical Muslim to be kind of Western. I think that's what needs to happen with the Palestinians unless I don't see any other solution, like a real solution, not like a temporary Band-Aid. Damn. But We Loved is a podcast about queer history. I'm Jordan Gonsalves, your host. Growing up, I thought being gay was the worst thing I could ever be. The gay history I learned was tragic. Jerry had died of AIDS, and it's like, what is happening? It was survival. That's why it's called survival sex. But as I interviewed queer elders, I realized there was another history that I had never been taught, a history of courage and perseverance. I wanted to take control of my story and not be ashamed of it. And it was a history full of love. The joy we found in saying husband again and again and again was incredible. And while learning this new queer history from my elders, I realized they had so much wisdom to pass down. The key is to understanding yourself, learning to love and embrace yourself. For My Heart Podcasts, I'm Jordan Gonsalves, and this is But We Loved. Listen to But We Loved on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. (sighs) Good one, Dad. (sighs) Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. October 7th was such a disastrous historical line in the the relationship between Palestinians and Israel and the world and Israel. What is the way out of this? Like, what does the future look like? What, what do you imagine the future looks like? Like, where are we going? To be completely honest, uh, I was 
I was 17, 18 maybe when I was 17 when they withdrew from the Gaza Strip on, in 2005. I was right before joining the army. And of course, I was against it. Everyone who a little bit, you know, on the right side of the map was against it very strongly, very severely. And me, my family, my dad, my, my, my cousins, my aunts and, and uncles and grandpa and, grand, and grandma, we all said, this is a terrible mistake. Like the people that live outside of Gaza, those kibbutz people are going to get screwed so hard. And everybody said that we're just, you know, we're just trying to scare them. We're crazy. We don't understand how relationships work. We're going to give them Gaza and they will build like a, you know, a safe haven or casinos or whatever. And we said, listen, this thing is going to blow. I don't know when, but it, it's going to. And October 7th, the last thing we wanted to say was, we told you so. That was the last thing we wanted to say. But we knew it's going to happen. We knew you can't trust. You can't be neighbor to a terrorist organization. You can't be neighbors with them. You can't. Like they, the only thing they want is to kill you. So for me, what I see what from understanding and studying Arab culture and in my degree that I did in communications, a degree in communications from Sapir Community College, what I learned about the Arab culture is when they go that far to do whatever they do to you because you're Jewish, because you live in Israel, because you're a Zionist, we both know it's not the reason. The only real solution is to just go back to, to be to live in Gaza. Go back. The Palestinians that live in Gaza, I'm sorry. I'm very, very sorry. Obviously, we don't want to kill you all or these crazy things I'm hearing on social media. Obviously not. We're not barbarians. It doesn't matter. There's, there's innocent people in Gaza. I believe in my heart. I don't know for sure, but I believe they're innocent people. Go to Egypt. Go to Jordan, which is the Palestinian state. Go to Jordan or wherever you need to go. But we will not stay. We will not be neighbors with terrorist organizations no more. After 75% of Palestinians inside Gaza supported what Hamas did on October 7th, I'm sorry, I'm not going to look for the 25% who didn't support it. I'm going to take you all and move you to a different location. Egypt got crazy amount of surface. You can live there. We won't stay neighbors with you anymore. We thought we can. We thought. We, we thought we have somebody to talk to after October 7th, after those atrocities that we saw and we were witness. It's not going to happen. And the same thing goes to Judea and Samaria. If you don't want to be a part of the Israeli state, you don't want to be a part of the state of Israel, don't be here. Go to Jordan. There's no way we're going to leave enemy within our country. If you're not my enemy, perfect. Take your blue ID, pledge your allegiance to Israel, and be a citizen. Not a second-class citizen. Be a citizen. You don't want to, don't stay here. Simple as that. That's that's real shit. That's fucking real shit. I think people need to understand that if you take an alien, right, and try to explain to him what's going on between Israel and Palestinians, one side 
very openly, strongly want to have some sort of solution. If it's two-state solution, if it's whatever solution we're trying to like come up in this situation, and the other side wants you dead. Simple as that. Simple as that. I know it's a horrible thing to say, but that's the truth. They will say, we will not rest until Israel won't exist anymore. And if you think they're going to rest after that, you're wrong. You're sadly mistaken. That's what people all over the world don't understand. The problem is not Israel. The problem is radical Islam that is going like crazy all over the world. People think that if Israel won't exist, that will solve all the world's problem. No, not at all. Because let's talk about before Israel. Before Israel was, you know, before the modern state of Israel uh, were established, the world was perfect. There were no wars going on. Maybe not so much as radical Islam, but the thing is, we have 1.8, I think, billion Muslims in the world right now. And by uh, foreign intelligence, they estimate that between 15 to 25 percent of them are radicals. That's around three to four hundred million. That's more the United States. How many Jews you have? 15, 16 million? Take the most radical Jew you know, the most insane radical Jew you know. He will never do anything like that. Anything like that. So to treat those nine million Jews that live in Israel as like they are the problem is completely and utterly insane. And that's the very definition of anti-Semitic. To look at the world, to see almost 2 billion Muslims, out of them almost 400 million radicals, and be like, oh, those 9 millions are the problem. That's just fucking insane. Explain, because also, you know, your opinion also, you're, you're also educated, and this is what, when I was talking to you, like, you study this shit, you talk about this shit, you understand this. Explain the best you can between Muslims and radical fundamentalists. Explain the difference, because when I talk about the radical fundamentalists, I'm Islamophobic, you're racist, break that down to the best you can in basic third grade terms, like you're talking to a third grader. Let's do it very, very basic, very basic. Listen, Christianity, Judaism, not radical Islam, the Islam as itself. In the modern state, they will not try to recruit anyone. You want to join our faith? Prove to us that you really want. That's the essence of religion. If you're going around recruiting people for your religion, you're wrong. And that's why they, they fucked up with the Crusaders. That's why Muhammad fucked up when he tried to eliminate half of the world to make the Muslims. Judaism, I don't know if you know, people know that. If you want to be Jew, if you want to be Jewish, right? They will put you through hell if you want to be Jewish. And an ex-girlfriend of mine that want to convert to Judaism, she told me this is fucking impossible. And that's the difference. That's the difference. Islam as itself, the religion, they have no problem coexist with other religions. You have Muslims, you have Christians, you have Buddhists, you have Jews. Any 
religion that have no problem coexist with other religion is fine by me. The problem is the fundamentalists, the radical fundamentalists, they say, if you're not Muslim like us, you should be dead. That's it. I'm not even talking about Jews or if you're not like us, you will be dead. And that's racism. That's a lot of different things because what they essentially say is what we think is right. And if you don't think like me, you're not allowed to. You should be dead. And that's the difference. And Atheist, now, Jewish, uh, doesn't matter what forward thinkers, punk rock, hip hop, dreamers, outspoken, LGBTQ, anything exactly. that's not that. Exactly. If you're not exactly like me, that was ISIS, by the way. ISIS were stopping Arab people on the street. Ask them to quote verses from the Quran. If they didn't quote them, they will kill them. And I'm talking about other Muslims. I'm not talking about Jews or Americans. I'm talking about other Muslims. That's radical fundamentalism. Now, the thing is that Islam, I'm sorry, right, have the most radical fundamentalists inside their religion. Not even Christians, no Buddhists, no atheists, no Jews. So if you, if you think about your religion and you're saying to yourself, well, my religion produced so many suicide bombers and so many terrorists, something is wrong with my religion. And if something, maybe something is not wrong about my religion, something is wrong about the understanding of other people of my religion. And if you won't face that, if the heads of the Muslim community won't face the problem that, listen, we have a lot of suicide bombers here, it's never going to stop. Just like if the heads of the, uh, you know, Christians won't understand, listen, we have a problem with pedophilia. We need to see what's going on here, so how we can stop this, how we can eradicate this. Same thing goes to, to Islam and radical fundamentalists. You have a problem. People fear Arabs. People fear Muslims. This is a problem. So you can't just scream, you know, Islamophobia. Because I asked someone online, I asked them, I asked them, listen, I was like, listen, regardless of your opinion about Israel, Palestine, whatever, let me ask you something and be, and be honest with me and answer me this. You live in a neighborhood, in a nice neighborhood in the United States, right? You live in a nice suburban neighborhood, you're good. And they tell you, listen, last, uh, like next week, they're going to move here 5,000 people. Your choice. Do you want 5,000 Jews or do you want 5,000 Muslims? What do you want in your neighborhood? Now you tell me and be honest. Because 5,000 Jews, what will happen? What is the worst thing that will happen? A kosher grocery store? What is the worst thing that will happen? 5,000 Muslims are moving to your neighborhood? Look what happened to Europe. That's all I'm going to say about that. You can scream about Israel and Palestine till your lungs gave out. Thing is, as a citizen of a Western country, be brutally honest with yourself and tell me, who would you rather be neighbor to, Jews or Muslims? That's the only thing I'm going to ask. All right, Matan Peretz. How can everybody find you on Instagram, TikTok? And YouTube. Uh, Matan Peretz, just write Matan Peretz, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, wherever you're going to find me from. I'm, I'm, I'm shooting 
at all directions. So, can you give a, a message to the world? Can you give a message to my listeners in Hebrew? Uh, is uh, like talk some Hebrew shit because when you talk Hebrew, it's to me it's funny. <laughs> okay. So, all the listeners of the podcast of Michael, that you know that we really want to talk about these things because the world is messed up, the world is fucked up, אנשים עם שכל בצד שלנו, וזה מה שחשוב, ועם ישראל חי, ביצ'ס, אין מה לעשות. I want to thank my guest, Matan Peretz. You should follow him on all his socials. Appreciate you coming on. Tell a friend to tell a friend about the I Am Rappaport Stereo podcast. I'm out. Miles Jordan, a.k.a. the Bleach Brothers, a.k.a. the Dust Brothers. Take me out of here with something real nice. Take me out of here with something real loud. But most importantly, end this I Am Rappaport Stereo podcast with something real funky. It's the I Am Rappaport Stereo podcast. I'm out. I'm Jordan Gonsalves, and I'm a journalist. Join me on my new podcast, But We Loved, where queer elders recount the amazing history they've lived through. In the middle of Wall Street, they stopped traffic. They were doing a die-in. And in the process, share little gems of wisdom for the next generation. The key is to understanding yourself, learning to love and embrace yourself. You can listen to But We Loved on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV... This is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.